What's up, everybody? Welcome to Giraffe Chaff. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? Hello there. <laughs> Quick, who is that? <laughs> uh, sounded like Kenobi. Yeah, I got Kenobi on the brain. I watched the first episode. Pretty good. I had some problems. The, the bane of my existence is artificial camera shake, and they might have used a little too much of that in certain places, but there's some fun stuff going on in there. Uh, I'll keep watching it. All right, I got to give that a watch as well. This week, we are back to Flavortown. That's right, we're doing our Streets of New Capenna Flavortown episode, so we'll talk all things flavor in form and function. But before we do, our usual housekeeping stuff. Of course, if you're not already in the Discord, check that out. Come say hi. We'd love to see you in there. Post your trophies. Talk about your picks. Just chat about life and such. We have a bunch of channels for just about everything. So check that out. The link to the Discord is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. We are beyond grateful for all of you. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. We've got two weeks left, guys. Two weeks before we get to our second anniversary which is absolutely absurd. What? But that means we only have two weeks left before we stop taking submissions for the mailbag episode, which will be episode 104. So check out the Discord for the mailbag as well. Sorry, throwing that in here kind of in the Patreon thing because I forgot to mention it, but check that out. Perks over there on the Patreon include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our Draft Chaff Hero cards sent right to you, signed by both of us. And right now the Draft Chaff Hero is none other than Inspiring Overseer. You can check out that episode, which came out last week, episode 101. In any case, the Patreon is at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Again, huge thanks to everybody who continues to support us over there. All right, on to our crack draft type thing. This is a pack one pick five, and it actually features none other than Inspiring Overseer. It's funny, our draft chaff heroes often break into constructed play, and I've been seeing this Black White Angels deck. It, It pops up every once in a while. And not just because I'm playing it. <laughs> uh, I've seen an opponent or two bring their own version of Black White Angels. It's got some solid removal. So, some pretty cool top end and it gets to play Elspeth. Of course, it plays four Inspiring Overseer. And that was actually my pack one pick one from a, an otherwise unassuming pack. Uh, it's a mythic common, right? Like if you have three of these in your deck, you feel like you can't lose. I just take every Inspiring Overseer I see. And I only pass them if I'm like pack three and I open one and I'm in maestros or something. And it's not like anyone else has passed them to me. Now, uh, I'm actually on pick five, as I mentioned. So I, I had a few other cards. My second pick was an out of the way. It's the uh, blue bounce spell that gets cheaper if you're targeting a green thing. It's fine. Good stuff. Uh, a slightly worse version of that came uh, pick four, run out of town. And I know it skipped pick three. Uh, it was a broker's hideout. So uh, an inspiring overseer, two good uh, four drop blue removal spells and a broker's hideout. Pretty good way to start the draft, right? Yeah, that's a recipe for success as long as those colors continue to flow. Well, <laughs> wait till you see pick five. Surprise, surprise. Those colors did not continue to flow. Uh, I did get past a mythic, though. It was a meeting of the five. Man, this just isn't the set for this. No, it, it's weird because like you'd think being the set that can handle like five color decks. But yeah, I have not seen this card played. I've not been able to play it myself, but I don't see the appeal. Yeah, I think the general consensus at this point is that blue, white and green, white and maybe red, black and blue, black are, are some pretty strong decks and everything else kind of sucks. <laughs> um, you can still play these three colored pairs. And I often do find myself with three colors or two in a splash for, for a card or two. But this just isn't the five color wonderland. Uh, this isn't, you know, what, what we were just doing last set, right? 
Yeah, for sure. No big mode here, sadly. Next up, uh, we had a little chat in blue. It's fine. You know, it technically is a two drop and doing things on turn two is important. But the fact that it doesn't directly uh, interact with your opponent's two drop or, or can't even uh, means that it's not really great. Uh, we get an illicit shipment next. That's the three black black with casualty three. It's a tutor. And uh, I mean, it's pretty much just unplayable, right? Yeah. Speaking of unplayables, we have Jackhammer. Haven't seen this on the battlefield. Nope. I've seen Sticky Fingers, our next card, a few times, but uh, usually right before I blow it out when, when my opponent tries to put it on one of their things and I just, you know, bounce it or kill it and they're down a card. Most Wanted, just about as playable as Jackhammer. It's the card that you often see, like, last in the set. And if I had to guess, it's going to be a tie between Most Wanted and Jackhammer for cards that I've, like, picked the least amount of times in the set. Mm-hmm. Next up, we finally have a good card. But it's a glamorous outlaw. That's the family fixer for Maestros. The uh, the six mana four five ETB deal two scry two. Really good card. I like it. Cool. You know, <laughs> I got the cool special art version on here too. But problem is, it just doesn't mesh super well with Inspiring Overseer. Yeah, it's a really sad spot to be in where you you aren't really in white, right? And you first pick the Overseer, so that's not really an indication that white is open. And if this pack yeah. is to say anything, white's not open. So you're kind of looking at one of those situations where like your first couple picks are power picks and then you have to be okay with dropping your first pick because the colors don't support it. And I mean, the Glamorous Outlaw does support the blue and it leaves you mm. open to potentially taking, you know, either red or black there to to make up for the secondary color. And then who knows, maybe you get a chance to do like a two color thing splashing the Overseer, but then your broker's hideout's not really doing a whole lot. So it, it's definitely an awkward spot to be in. Yep. And the rest of the pack just <laughs> doesn't get much better from there. There's a Masked Bandits. That's the Riveteers family fixer. The six mana, five, five Vigilance Menace. If this costs five, it'd be awesome. But it's it's just a little too pricey. Next up, we got a Waterfront District. That is the blue black land. Got to say the uh, the special art, the kind of, I don't know, the art deco border on these dual lands has more than once tricked me into thinking that a certain land tapped for a color that it didn't. Um, mm. But this is indeed the blue-black one. i got to squint to double-check. But yes, this is blue-black. And last but not least, we have a Riveteers Outlook, the Riveteers Fetch Land. Huh. Not what you want to see, pick five. No, not at all. This is, uh, well, I would suffice to say it's a dilemma. I, I think, and when you posted this, I think you posted this in the Discord. I was originally on the dual land, the waterfront district, just because, well, mm. you're mostly in blue at this point, and that's the best one to support like the colors you have at the moment and, and kind of yeah. keep you open. And that would let you splash black later if you wanted to. I did want to put a little mention out there to sticky fingers. I think you're a little lower on it than I am. The fact that it replaces itself when the creature dies is a big upside for me. And I've seen it generate a lot of value if it does manage to stick around. I mean, there's a reason that you want to blow people out or quote unquote, blow people out with this and yeah. get it off the battlefield. Cause if this can hit you a few times, like it gets to be a big issue that said, I yeah, mean, it's clearly not doing anything for you here. So I would have been on either the waterfront district, the outlook or one of the family fixers and probably the glamorous outlaw at that, because the other one just really doesn't do anything for you. But yep. I think I probably I still would have taken outlaw. Oh, you did. Okay. I, I think I still would have taken the uh, waterfront district, but the glamorous outlaw arguably keeps you open to more colors going forward in the draft. So I can, I can get behind that. I mean, at this point, 
I hadn't really seen any other good white two drops. Uh, if I had seen any of the good ones, the Rafines in format, backup agent, even a Skycrier, I would have been pretty happy to move into white here. I think blue white kind of beat down evasive flyer aggro with these blue removal spell f- for top end. That's pretty much the best thing you can do in the format. Just white aggro with these blue removal spell backups, stuff like the uh, the, the pickpocket, just all, all this good stuff at, at the top end in blue uh, with, with the nice white aggression. But I didn't see that. And I'm barely even seeing blue here. Like the only mono blue card in this pack is a, a little chat. And then there's a waterfront district in blue and an outlaw in blue. I did take the glamorous outlaw and I did actually wind up in maestros. Uh, maestros ended up being pretty open, but more so the black red aspects of it, which you can kind of see here. Uh, I mean, the black red cards just aren't that impressive in this pack. I do think there is a consideration for doing the old Ryan Spain move quick. Dipping out of the draft, craft up for meeting of the five, and then take the meeting of the five for 40 gems. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we haven't talked about any of those sorts of going optimal things in quite a while. Maybe we should really try to get him on the show and do an episode on that. Yeah, that could be fun. Because that's something we haven't focused on very much. And it's a little bit outside of our niche of just like doing shenanigans in, in limited, but there are some really cool ways to eke back value. And I know some of the folks in the discord would like to hear about that. So let us know in the discord if you want us to try to get Ryan Spain on. All right. On to our fairy Tibble. This is our roses and thorns style segment where we share in a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, why don't you start us off? No, it's been a while since you started. All right. <laughs> well, so for my Teferi in the U.S. here, we had Memorial Day this week. So we had a short uh, had a short work week anyway, which is always fun. And as part of that, you know, Memorial Day is a day where pretty much everybody goes in barbecues and like has a little outdoor party kind of thing. So I went to one of those with uh, an old college roommate at his parents' house and they, they usually do a good time and his parents are really into cooking and stuff. So they had a... a beautifully smoked brisket and a lot of other amazing food there. I got to bring my dog there too, which was fun. And I realized my dog's not actually a dog. So we got there and there were three other dogs at this party and Uh two of them started barking at my dog immediately. And then she just like looked at them like, bruh, uh, what are you you doing? I'm just, she's older. She's She's only four. She was younger than those dogs. Wait, she's only four. I, I would, yeah. I would have guessed she was older than that. I would have guessed she's maybe like six or seven. She, she's got that kind of, um, that that kind of middle aged dog waddle, you know? Yeah, no, she. I always tell people she's four, but she acts like she's eighteen. <laughs> yeah, she does. But she just like she was like, okay, these dogs clearly don't want anything to do with me. So she just like went to the outskirts. We were all sitting in like a circle, and she like goes to the outskirts outskirts of the circle and just flops over and lays there for like the <laughs> remainder of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds accurate. Uh, my tibble is that it was freaking hot out this week. It, it hit almost yeah. 100 degrees here in the northeast U.S. And uh, with that plus the humidity we have, it's just not fun at all. And then the next day was like cold. Like I almost needed a jacket the next day. Yeah, that was the weirdest thing. Uh, it, it was like 95 one night. And then the next night it was like 70. Yeah. To be clear, we would trade this for like 100 degrees out west in a heartbeat. Like it's just it it's so different here. Uh, with with the high humidity, it feels like you're you're melting. <laughs> yeah, a drier heat, a drier heat is way more pleasant. It's almost like you go outside and as soon as you step outside, you're swimming, but then you're boiling mm-hmm. at the same time. So yeah, my biggest problem is that you just get so sweaty in this kind of heat. Yeah, and I hate being sweaty in the summer. It's like I will go to extreme lengths to avoid. It. I pretty much only wear tank tops <laughs> to to avoid like gross sweat stains and such. 
Yeah. And my last tipple here is that I'm kind of in a food rut. I've been doing like meal prepping to, to make it so that I, I don't like randomly just get takeout by myself one night. I'd rather spend my takeout quote unquote takeout money on like going out yeah. to dinner with friends instead of just like sitting in and doing my own thing. But I've hit a little bit of a rut where I've like lost some inspiration and I need to try to do some more fun things because my food's been pretty boring lately. I heard this is a this is a good podcast about dumplings. Maybe I could I could send you a link to it later. Oh, cool. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I've got to lead with the the punt that will live in infamy. So I was playing to remain in the top 250 for the uh, the, the limited uh, mythic ladder this this month, and I was at around. I was around 2.17 uh, the morning of uh, the end of the season. So I'm thinking, okay, it's going to be a tight one, but let me just see what happens. And at this point, you can either do a New Capenna or a Strixhaven quick draft, which I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Strixhaven. I, I especially love, it seems right now that uh, black-white is um, undervalued by the bots. You can get some really sweet black-white decks. So anyway, I decided to do a quick draft. I fire one and I wind up with a sweet black white deck splashing for Lorehold Command and Flame Painter Ifrit, which is a card I adore. That's the three in a red one four double strike. And whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent, you can free cast an instant or sorcery from your graveyard. Just awesome. Such a sick card worth the splash. And especially in a, in a black white beatdown deck with a lot of learning cards, things like that. Anywho, the hours go by. I'm sitting at 240. And I realize, uh oh, I'm not going to make it the next two hours. I'm going to get kicked out of the top 250. I got to play a game to stay in. And I was hoping to stay in because that way I don't have to go through the whole like play in tournament. I just go straight to the qualifier. I, I like this new system of organized play. It's it's pretty well incentivized. So I'm thinking, all right, I just got to win one game. I queue up. I play against an opponent. I think they're like maybe they might have been like low plat rank. And I'm like, OK, thank God. It's not one of the other like mythic top 250 coming to kick me out. My first mistake. This opponent, clearly they were new to this format. Uh, they didn't really do anything, nothing relevant. I think they played like a creature and I killed it right away. Uh, I blew out one of their blockers, something like that. And I'm like, what are they doing? At one point they learned and they got an environmental sciences when they were on five lands. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what's going on here, but I'm okay with this. Like, this is great. They play the sixth land and they play body of knowledge or body of insight. What's that card? The, the one that makes a, uh, it, it makes a fractal token with counters equal to the cards left in their library. And it just so happened to be 26 cards. Now I'm like, okay, this is a little bit rough, but I had an edict in my graveyard, Umbral Juke. And I'm thinking, if they, if I can just get through once with my Flame Painter of Freed, I can juke their creature and make them sacrifice it. They, they didn't have nothing else on board. They had no other permanence. So I'm thinking, okay, I just need them to make one bad attack. Just, you know, that this is a, a, a maybe a little inexperienced player. I just need them to swing in with this, this body of knowledge or whatever this thing is just once. And they do it and they swing in. I'm like, oh my God, I would just win the game now. I'm going to be safe. Everything is fine. I hit space bar and then I go, oh my God, I just space bar through blocks. <laughs> so I look down at my life total and you'll never guess what my life total was. I'm going to have to assume based on the story that you are at exactly 26 because that is just what <laughs> life would do to you. I was at 26, exactly 26 life. And I was so ashamed. I scooped on the spot. I mean, they would have just killed me anyway. It didn't matter. But I, I didn't even give him an oops. I just I was like, oh, my God, this is the most tilting thing I've done in a really long time. <sighs> oh, man, I'm sorry, Flame Painter of Free. You deserve better. <laughs> you deserve a better pilot than, than, than what I could do. 
But anyway, that's how I wound up finishing closer to the seven or eight hundreds instead. Uh, still happy to have made it. And now I can transition into my Teferi. I did actually make it in the top uh, 1200. So I'll be playing in, in the play in uh, or, or, or the qualifier. Anyway, uh, other other stuff. Um, I got a new GPU this week. That's fun. I was afraid I was going to accidentally fry my whole PC while doing it, but I managed to survive through that. And a new deck that I've been having a lot of fun with. Shout out to Rob Dies at the end in, in Discord for recommending Featherless Feather. I've been giving it a spin in Explorer, although with Feather. And the sad thing is now I love playing with Feather <laughs> like a lot. I, I never played it before. I always saw it as a as a sin against uh, proper aggro decks, because this is like aggro combo in a way. Uh, but now that I've actually gotten some reps in, I love this play pattern. It's so much fun. It's like a, a heroic deck. Illuminator Virtuoso making that thing into like a 7-5 double strike trample on turn three. Oh, yeah, that, that that's the best thing is, I don't know if I'm going to be able to give up playing feather. I might play like a, a suboptimal, maybe like one feather main board if I play it in paper, something like that. Anyway, for our listener question this week, we have nothing because we want to continue to encourage you all to just dump any listener questions you would have uh, into the mailbag channel in the discord. Uh, Zach, you got you got a question for the listeners? Let's ask them something. Maybe ask them for food wrecks, right? Yeah, l- let me know what your favorite meal preppy style of food. And when I say meal preppy, I mean something that can be made in a big batch at once and and lasts long enough to get through a week or so. So let me know in the Discord in our random channel what you think about that, what what you go to for meal prep style foods. Welcome back to Flavortown. So as we said before, it's time for the uh, the streets of New Capenna Flavortown episode. And this is the episode where we really take time to appreciate all the art, the flavor text, just the design of some of our favorite cards from the set. And then we, we kind of reevaluate them as to how they've been playing out in the limited format. Are they busted? Are they bad? Uh, are they in brokers? Are they not? <laughs> Same question, right? Uh, and, and maybe explain how, how we found them to perform flavor-wise uh, as opposed to just, you know, card-wise. Now, before we jump into it, we always like to give a little lore recap. We always get some fun shout outs in the Discord saying that people enjoy these. And, and honestly, these are a lot of fun to do. I know Zach and I like reading the lore and keeping up to date on it. And to be honest, it seems like we're building up to something pretty big, especially with all these Phyrexians we've got teased in, in the occasional set here and there. I mean, I remember when we, when we first kind of discovered, like, wait a minute, is that Vorinclex? Like, what is he doing here? That's insane. That's got to be a fake spoiler. And then... It was real like that. That was sick. I love that feeling of, of man. Is this is this really happening? So I guess we can start it off. Zach. Yeah. Fair, you want to kick us off with a story? Sure. Fair warning. We are going to be relatively spoilery. So if you are hoping to get all this fresh when you read the story yourself, pause right here. Go read the story, then come back and we'll we'll recap it and then talk through all the other stuff that we have. So. As Ben mentioned, we've been kind of building up to some stuff, and the story for New Capenna doesn't really get into all of it in too much detail. It it does tie into some of it, but essentially, we start off with Ajani, the Leonin planeswalker, telling Elspeth that he's pretty sure that she's from New Capenna, and we get some background of about her from Theros Beyond Death uh, and kind of recapped up to where we are now. And she heads over to New Capenna, after learning that this is her home, she's been searching for her home for a little while. She tries to learn more about who she is. And in the same breath, Johnny's like, hey, this is your home. But also, we kind of want to go invade New Phyrexia. And we're pretty sure this is the only plane that's ever survived an attack from the Phyrexians. 
So go figure out how they did that and let us know. So that's essentially where we start off. It seems like during this Phyrexian invasion, the plane rallied together. Uh, There's some stuff here where the demons tricked the angels. They turned them into yummy halo goo. And somehow they use that to defeat the Phyrexians. It seems like halo, we get a hint in a side story. Halo seems to be like antimatter to Phyrexian oil and and, and all that that good stuff. It seems to be the exact opposite. I guess Phyrexian is like uh, corrupt oil goo and halo is like beautiful angel goo so when you smack them together they they kind of annihilate each other and i guess it doesn't work out but anyway it seems that uh in the doing so in this process the demons uh kind of took over uh, and the angels all got sealed away in stone question mark there's some cards that maybe don't line up perfectly with with the lore here but as far as the story goes angels are fully trapped in stone yeah that's essentially what we get there are tons of statues all over new capenna and the plane, I mean, New Capenna is really just a city within the plane, which is kind mm-hmm. of interesting the way that they went about naming all this stuff. But there, there's another area that, that we are told about in the story, which we'll get to in a little bit. But New Capenna is like the city and there are statues littered all over New Capenna that are angelic statues. Those are actual angels that have been trapped essentially in stone. And the story calls it stasis, but they're basically statues. So anyway, Elspeth kind of wanders around for a bit. She bumps into some maestros and ends up through a series of events running errands for Xander, who's their their aged leader. Uh, while kind of rumors of this upstart named the Adversary have started to swirl around the Undercity. Uh, now Xander is the collector of history. He's uh, he kind of runs a private museum, which obviously is of interest to Elspeth. Now weirdly enough, he apparently was there for for this Phyrexian invasion, but it was so long ago that he can't remember it properly and that time has, like, clouded his memory. Not entirely sure on all that, but I guess so. It's it's a little bit of a weak gimmick, in my opinion. I was under the impression, and we don't actually get this from the story, they don't explain this, but I'm under the impression that all of the family leaders, or most of the family leaders, at least at this point, were present. What we do know is that the demons and the family leaders at the time that the war was happening made a pact. And that's why all mm-hmm. the family leaders are demons. That was like part of the pact was they had to be demons. And, and, demons and so that's why we have for them. hundreds of years. Right. Right. So. But it's a little odd that Xander's just like, uh, I can't remember things. <laughs> I'm a vampire, yeah. first of all, who already live yeah. very long and have their memories. And I mean, like, look at Soren Markov. He doesn't forget things. Yeah. Maybe yeah, this guy just has like early onset dementia, early onset for a <laughs> demon and va- like a vampire demon. Yeah. Well, anyway, Elspeth agrees to run some missions in exchange for information about the past and kind of access to Xander's library. So on one mission, Elspeth bumps into Vivian, who she doesn't actually know. Uh, Vivian does know of Elspeth and has been previously taken to the Undercity by Tezzeret to meet Urabrask. I know that that was a lot at once, but Urabrask kind of is just there. <laughs> and Tezzeret is like, hey, Vivian, why don't you go meet this guy? And uh, Vivian gets some important information out of this. She learns that neither Tez or Urabrask are big fans of Elishnorn or her growing power or her desire to conquer the multiverse. And they kind of see a rebellion coming. Now, Urabrask has always been the dissident, which is weird. He's the uh, the mono-red one. And apparently, the, the mono-red aspect of kind of rebellion and freedom shines through in Urabrask, where uh, he and his people, they don't really bow to the uh, the, the Phyrexian orthodoxy like, uh, like the rest of the uh, Phyrexian sects do. So anyway, uh, Tezzeret also isn't really interested in, in 
you know, being Phyrexian gooified, I guess. He already has enough metal built into him, and I think he's fine with what he's got. So Vivian is sent by Tezzeret and Urbrask to find Halo, which they know is important for defeating Phyrexians, and find Elspeth, which they also know is important for defeating Phyrexians. Yeah, and so Elspeth is sent to investigate this, like, new source of Halo that is kind of being rumored around. The Cabaretti throw this big party every year they call the Crescendo, and... They've been spreading all these rumors that at the at the crescendo this year, they are going to unveil this new secret source of Halo. And throughout the entire story, they they kind of the authors sprinkle in this concept that like the Halo supply is dwindling. And we know as readers that the Halo supply comes from these statues that once were angels. And so uh, essentially, to me, it seems like they're tapping these statues like maple trees or something and and extracting the sap to make this halo. But essentially the cabaret are spreading all these rumors. They have this new infinite supply of halo. They call the font and turns out she's just a little girl and she's around like 11 years old or so. I think they say, and as the cabaret unveil to the world that this is the font and we can generate halo the adversary, aka Obnixilis, just decides let's let's spoil the party, and so all of his sort of informants or or I guess spies who have been infiltrating all of the different houses basically attack all the houses at once. It's a big collaborated effort to sort of take over New Capenna in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. Now this this girl Giada, she's able to just make Halo with her hands, which is pretty wild. Uh, and she, at this point, doesn't think she's anything special besides some sort of mage. But anyway, Elspeth, you know, sees Giada clearly in distress, about to get whisked away, and decides, wait a minute, this girl doesn't seem to, to be liking what's going on with her in the cabaret. Let me get her out of here. Also, she's clearly important for this plane somehow. Uh, so I want to protect her. You know, Elspeth doing Elspeth things. Now, after almost getting trapped, Vivian comes in, saves the day, and helps get them out of there. Uh, but they're pursued by Obnixilis and, and his uh, goons. Eventually, they get trapped in a church where Giada gets this strange sense that she's at home. And it turns out she might be an angel or is just an angel. Uh, somehow, one of the last of the angels and uh, feels this kind of glowing sensation. Weirdly enough, Elspeth feels it, too. Yeah. And there's something that that people mention every time. So it's it's a weird recurring thing in the story that never actually gets explained at all, like in any capacity. But every time she mentions her name, everybody's like, oh, you're from like, like, that's a really old name, you old lady. Yeah. And that's it. Like, they just they're just like, that's a name nobody has anymore. Like, that's really old fashioned. Kind of implying that Elspeth's really, really, really old. Hmm. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she uh, actually was around when the Phyrexian stuff happened or shortly thereafter. So maybe she's also part angel who really knows. But they, they just like barely tug on that thread. It's like not really mentioned at all. That's possible, yeah. I guess we're not totally sure about the angels on this plane. I know on most planes, angels are like pure white mana incarnate, or on some planes, they're created by someone like Soren, like a powerful mage. I guess we don't really know their origin. I guess one could become a planeswalker, like a Nuka Pena angel could be a planeswalker. Maybe maybe Elspeth is like part angel. Uh, we don't really know at this point. Yeah, and but I anyway. think it's, it's worth mentioning too, just in terms of like what the angels are like. We do... The only glimpse of it, really, that we get is Angel of Suffering, the card, which is a bl- mono-black angel, which is different because most angel and it's a nightmare angel, but still. Um, and in the flavor text of Angel of Suffering, it says, if you wish for blessings, ask your demon masters. We've given you enough. 
basically I'm paraphrasing, but so mm. not all the angels were statuified, I guess. Yeah, there's inspiring overseer too, and there's, there's a few others. The uh, the blue white common and uncommons. So the cards and the lore don't entirely line up there. It, it seems like maybe there's there were some angels still out and about. I mean, sanctuary warden, right? That the the white mythic. Anyway, uh, this part of the story I was a little shaky on. Giada just kind of manifests this sword for Elspeth. It's a halo infused sword. They don't say what it is or what it's called, but with this turn of the tides, they're able to fight off Obnixilis. The Elspeth lands like a pretty deep blow on him and he plans walks away. And uh, after they kind of chase off the rest of the goons, Giada, they say their goodbyes to her. She goes off to become an angel now, I guess. Um, maybe awaken her her clan. Maybe just go turn to stone with them. Hard to say exactly. Soul of Emancipation is probably the best thing that shows something like this happening where uh, it kind of shows a... At least in the original art, it shows like this big force, like this big avatar kind of reaching out and awakening angels. That's maybe the best representation of what happens here, kind of, uh, of this like awakening of Giada. But at the same time, we don't see any other angels in the story. No. So and that actually is Giada in Soul of Emancipation. If in the story at the time where this happens, that's the art they they plug into the middle of the thing. So the assumption is that is Giada. And it's unclear in the story, they mention her looking like Halo. So presumably she's like drawing the life force of all of the angels to her and using them to kind of manifest a, a, a larger body of some kind that could be used to to help wipe things out. But then she just disappears after the like the story ends kind of with her doing that. And then the next story is like weeks later and she's just not around anymore and nobody's mentioning yeah. what like where she went. So Maybe she just disappeared. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's kind of where the story ends. We get to that point. Elspeth and Vivian are kind of like, okay, you know, we need uh, we need some information. They go back to the Maestro's headquarters where Xander's second in command is now in command. And Xander had given him a letter that said, hey, this chick Elspeth is probably going to come by. And when she does, give her complete access to all of my archives and my, like, basically secret trove of information that nobody else has access to. Give her everything she wants. So they, her and Vivian just spend hours poring over the pages in there trying to put the pieces together of what Elspeth knows because Elspeth is aware of the Phyrexians having fought them in the past. And Xander didn't know that they were fighting Phyrexians on Nuka Pena in the past. He was trying, that was like his whole thing was that he was trying to figure out what were they actually fighting. And so Elspeth was kind of putting those pieces together and and trying to find how they beat them and how they actually use the halo to beat them in the first place. In case you're wondering what happened to Xander, he was killed by Obnixilis during the uprising. And it, it was kind of shown on some cards in, in some ways. Murder <laughs> shows. Yeah, I mean, it's literally showed. Itself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I noticed that in the alchemy release, there's a card called Xander's Wake, which makes it a little more obvious, kind of playing up the whole like big mob funeral uh, passing of the torch type thing. This set maybe could have played up a lot of these not mobster stereotypes, but almost tropes a little more. I would almost like to see more of it. I don't know. I'm Italian. I, I, I probably if you go like like five or six degrees of separation removed, I might I might know some mobsters here or there. Uh, this, this stuff's fun. It's cool. Who doesn't love a good mobster movie, right? I will say in the side stories, they get into this a little more. Uh, there's one about Kit Canto, the cabaret singer, about how she rises up from just being kind of like a street urchin, just singing on the street until uh, one day she, she through luck and uh, happenstance and some skill, winds up uh, singing for the cabaret at a big party. 
the entire thing is written in like roaring 20s prose and it took like a minute to adjust to that but once you kind of lean into it and accept like oh this is this is camp this is fun uh, at that point you're like okay this, I, I get what's going on here but the entire story is written in terms of like man the these uh these riveteers goons are sure are coming at me i got a lickety split skedaddle out of these cats and it's like <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's pretty fun the great um, gatsby on steroids yeah 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 and now there, there are some other notable side stories. We learn a bit more about the brokers and their their doomsday plan. Uh, it, they've got a pretty weird system going. They'll teleport in to save someone from like a, a natural disaster or something like that. Uh, or, or if there's like a, a bank robbery going on, they'll teleport in to each of the civilians and they'll say, hey, can you just sign this contract real quick? If you do, we'll keep you safe. Quote unquote shield counter being put on a creature. And uh, if you do, you'll be fine. Of course, most people do. What they don't see in the fine print is that they've just signed their consciousness away to someday, if the brokers ever need it, be drafted into their mass manipulation army to fight the apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> they're all they sleeper agents. Coming. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty cool. The Like half the population is a sleeper agent for the brokers without knowing. I almost wish there was like a uh, like a control magic effect that, that played that up. But I don't think we got one this set, right? No, that would have been really cool, though. Now that like I didn't that didn't even cross my mind. That would have been really cool as like a mass well, mass manipulation was was a card. Uh but yeah. That would have it would have been really cool to see uh, like a new brokers like tricolored uh effect. I got it. Easy. Um brokers it doesn't have to be strong. It, it would have to cost like brokers one, two, three, maybe. Maybe like a six mana mass um turn against type type thing. And it would be gain control of all creatures with shield counters on them. Yeah, that would be really good. Yeah. Anyway, so, I, mean, um, th- I feel like there would be some holes there because like you'd kind of need effects <laughs> to put shield counters on your opponent's stuff so you can take them. Yeah. But, yeah. Maybe more creatures would have to say when this creature enters the battlefield, put a shield counter on a creature you control. But then you could just put them all on like a like a duelist or something and yeah, just go nuts. Yeah, it'd be a little bit much. Anyway, there's one other story that we wanted to shout out, and that's uh, Garden of Flesh. And this one, if you're interested in the Phyrexians or what's coming next... This one's probably worth just checking out yourself. Uh, it's best summarized by saying, what happens when Elish Norn, the Phyrexian Praetor, the, the the Lord of Phyrexia, what happens when she has a nightmare? Pretty cool story. Yeah, and, and to kind of wrap up the Streets of New Capenna story here, basically there's some aftermath. Elspeth and Vivian are kind of chatting, and Elspeth's like, hey, we, we got to go fight these things, and you're pretty cool. Come help. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So the two of them... I don't think we actually see them planes walk away, but presumably they're headed back to Dominaria. They do mention we're going to Dominaria, um, and that's where the rest of the Gatewatch and and all of those folks are starting to form up to eventually attack New Phyrexia is the plan, assuming they get to do it before uh, before the Phyrexians attack them. Clearly, they're yeah, up to something. Karn, Johnny, I think even Jace has been concerned about all the, the Phyrexian rumorings and, and happenings. And we've seen the Phyrexians kind of gathering their forces, too. We know they got access to the World Tree from Kaldheim, and that probably doesn't bode well. We don't want Phyrexian gods popping up here and there, but I don't know. We might see something like that. Um, so overall, thoughts on the story? Yeah, I'm a little torn. I mean, the writing was was well done. Like kudos to the authors who na- whose name is escaping. I think one author wrote all five of the main storylines, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Elise Kova. Elise Kova. Okay, yeah, she did a phenomenal job. I think uh, the writing was well done. It was easy to get through, and it was 
in for the most part, like keeping me going, I was interested to finish each of the stories. Yeah. But there were a lot of holes. And I think part of that was probably because Watsy went to her and was like, Hey, flesh out the story in five articles. Yeah. Go. That's hard. I, I think because we got to the end and then a lot of stuff pops up at the, in like the very last episode, so to speak, mm-hmm. or the last chapter, however you want to word it. And it's just like, wait, hold on. Uh, questions. I need, I have questions. I'm not getting answers. What's going on. So part of that yeah. is with Giada. We just get like no understanding of really what she is. It seems like she's an angel, but then it's also like, maybe it's just like some sort of weird energy being thing. Where did she come from? Yeah. Was she born to parents or or did they just find her after manifesting? Why did they say explicitly that all angels had been trapped in stone? And yet then we have Giada, whose whole thing is that she's supposed to be like the only angel not trapped in stone. And then those cards like inspiring overseer, the the best comment in the set. Watsy knew what they were doing when they printed that card. They knew attention would be focused on it. But the other main part of the story is that the angels are all trapped in stone. In fact, uh, Majestic Metamorphosis even shows an angel busting out of stone, which never happens during the story. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is maybe just because it wasn't said doesn't mean it can't happen kind of thing. So there, there's probably room for the cards to explain things that the story didn't get a chance to. But there are just a lot of questions, and we'll get into this with some of the cards that we have coming up that are just strange. The way that like Luxior shows up is kind of weird. It just like it, it's like a different sword, and then it, that sword morphs itself into Luxior. And it's like, was it always Luxior? Did did Giada just kind of do that? Like that's a little bit weird. We should just talk about our dishonorable mentions, the first of which is Luxio Giada's gift. Now, first of all, this is just a flat zero in limited. Like, you can't play this. Even if you have, like, two Planeswalkers in your deck, you're still probably not playing this. <laughs> it's just so win more. Um, a, a miss uh, as far as limited gameplay goes. Fun card for Super Friends decks. It's kind of cool. But the one thing that I don't really understand about this, uh, again, like you said, we don't really know where this thing came from. It was a sword that Giada turned into Luxior by somehow infusing it with this halo orb, which I guess powers the sword with the power of halo. Or does she have to like, is it kind of like a break glass in case of Phyrexian's deal where, where she's going to have to like break it over the head of, of Elishnor and then all the halo will come out and melt her? Yeah, it's completely unclear. And up up to the point in the story where Luxior actually is revealed and, and it's something like a weapon that can be used, Giada is like, super sheepish she she just like isn't really sure about herself and there are parts where they specifically mention like oh she's coming out of her shell and she's like doing things that seem like she's getting more comfortable but then all of a sudden she's just like super knowledgeable about stuff and she's just like elspeth take this sword and go kill that guy and she's like (laughs) i don't think i can do it and she's like you can do it go do it (laughs) and that's like all we get but it's like wait hold on and then my other big complaint with luxior is like it has this whole thing about like planeswalkers not being planeswalkers that is never brought up in the story and she attacks obnixilus yeah. with it hits him like a, a basically a fatal blow or close to fatal and then he planeswalks away so it's not like yeah the effects of halo stop you from planeswalking yeah so i like that this lets your planeswalkers do stuff like that's cool what i don't get is I, I shouldn't should it make them into an angel like is is there a way to, to have this convey something that we didn't know already i can't imagine the monumental task it must be to coordinate creation of cards flavor art flavored text just the lore in general and then combine that with the lore stories 
it makes sense. And we've seen little slip ups here and there before where, where things don't quite line up. Luxier, they don't even name it in the story. It's not even called Luxier at any point in the official story, which, you know, you might not even realize it was that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like that, to be honest, because how often would you find yourself in a situation? And now I'm telling you to put on your like your I live in a fantasy world hat. But uh-huh. like, I don't think it would have made too much sense for Lux or for for Giada to be like, hey, here's a sword. And Elspeth's like, OK, but before I use it, what's it called? <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't think it would have right, the way it right. was brought into the story. It wouldn't have been very natural to be named. But I, I get your point. At, like, They never mentioned what it's called. Yeah. I have a feeling this is going to face down against the shadow spear at some point, And I'm sure that'll be a cool showdown. I don't know if the, if the shadow spear uh, is somehow connected to Phyrexian oil, but they, if you look at that art, it looks like the art description must've clearly said for shadow spear, like spear dripping in oil, possibly Phyrexian or something like that. Uh, and we know that it came from a nightmare that Elspeth was having about Phyrexians, if I remember correctly. And we also know that, well, nightmares happen to be involved with Elishnorn and a certain other. Uh, I'm just going to stop there and let people read that one for themselves. Uh, but another gripe I have with the story, the Halo Fountain. Let's talk about Halo Fountain. So the whole idea of the story is that Halo is running out. You know, like places that had been once abundant with Halo where you could just go get a drink with Halo. Uh, it's getting more expensive. You know, uh, it, it's harder to find. And the families are getting nervous. They're like, "Uh oh, I think we're running out of Halo. Then the cabaretti are like, hey. We've got this infinite halo source. Everyone, you better come to our party. Come check this out. And they're going to you know, rule the rule the plane because of this, this infinite halo fountain. We got a card in the set called Halo Fountain. And from the art, it looks like this is some sort of cabaret performance, right? Where they're just like, I get what they're going for. Like a like a jazz age dance troupe where, where the, instead of like water, they have halo. But when you think Halo Fountain, the whole Halo Fountain in the story was supposed to be Giada, right? Yeah, so there was no Halo Fountain in, in the story. Giada creates Halo and like just the only time we see her do that is demonstrated. She just like puts it in a bottle, basically. Yeah. And if this Halo Fountain had existed within the story, this would have been big news, right? Like this would have been the place that everyone would have gone to. People would either be uh, dissing the cab ready for such a gross excess waste of Halo or, you know, trying to steal it or, or get this thing. Also, it's not legendary, so I guess maybe it's not even as important as we're assigning it. I don't know. It, it just doesn't align with the fact that the Halo fountain in the story is Giada and not a literal fountain. Yeah, and they they couldn't have had many other actual Halo fountains because they were running low. And another thing yeah. that, that I didn't like story-wise is outside of like, hey, this helped us beat the Phyrexians, which nobody actually knows on, mm. on New Capenna. Like, nobody remembers that they were fighting for Exians. There's no real explanation as to why everybody's scrambling to make sure they don't run out of Halo. Like that, there's never a reason offered up to say outside of the fact that it like is a drug that enhances your uh, like abilities and healing and stuff. Like it is really good at healing. Mm. Other than that, yeah, there's no reason like why the whole entire plane needs this stuff to survive. I don't know. I mean, this this one I wasn't as. as- I don't know, as big a problem maybe as you did. I feel like this one, it's like the equivalent of, of if, if they were all of a sudden like, hey, everyone, we are out of, we're out of rum. <laughs> You're at a bar and they're like, hey, everyone, by the way, we're out of rum and whiskey and tequila. And then the heads start to turn and, you, and they're like, 
say that again and then people get kind of mad no i see why like the mob wants to make sure that the the good stuff keeps flowing right no but i i agree with that but the 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 level to which they want to go to make sure oh, that it doesn't run out doesn't make think any it's sense apocalypse coming if right. they run out of halo okay like there's no reason that once the phyrexians were beaten that like society continued to need this stuff to make society function they, they just don't offer a reason. I'm not saying there isn't one, but they don't offer one. And I would have liked mm-hmm. a little bit of a little bit of extra just mention of like, here's what people are even using it for outside of like, this is a very expensive, fancy drink, but the entire plane needs it. Yeah. Well, anyway, as far as the main story goes, you know, solid, fine, uh, enjoyable to read. And the side story is pretty entertaining, too, but um, some a little more forgettable than others. I did like what they went with with Elspeth and and her and Giada having this kind of mirrored journey of home and family and, and belonging. It's nice to see Elspeth kind of get something like that. And I'm happy to see Elspeth get brought into this into the spotlight, maybe to take over for old Gids now that he's up in Theros uh, heaven. That's true. Now, we do have a few other flavor fails here, some dishonorable mentions we want to shout out. Let's start with Dr. Manhattan, uh, the all-seeing arbiter. What is this? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, again, no mention of anything even remotely close to this in the story. In fact, to be completely frank, the Brokers and the Obscura are hardly mentioned at all in the story. They're like almost mm. never mentioned. Even the Riveteers are almost never mentioned. The story pretty much exclusively talks about the Cabaret and the Maestros. But yeah, there's nothing like this mentioned ever. Yeah, the presence of avatars on the plane is interesting and a little confusing. It seems very grounded. I mean, the next card we're going to talk about is a human citizen that plays jazz, presumably. So uh, the fact that now we have these massive avatars that I guess everyone's just cool with. uh, At first, I I was fine with this. Then I realized, wait a minute, is it even flying? Is it standing there? What's it? Is it standing on like a pedestal meant for it? I'm curious more so than anything else. I would have liked to know more. I guess they just have a giant naked blue dude who stands in the middle of the town square and just watches everyone. You know, totally normal city life. But it's also not legendary. So like, are there more than one of them? Yeah, that's kind of weird too. And uh, the next card that I mentioned, Sizzling Soloist. This card... I wanted to love it, but the design is a mess. So first of all, four mana three, two doesn't really line up with functionally no other text in some cases. Uh, if you if you play this as the last creature out of your hand, it basically is a four mana three, two. Uh, and uh, just making sure you, you sequence these triggers right. I think I've seen more people do the alliance trigger from this thing wrong than right. To be clear with, with uh, these these double trigger things, the second trigger resolves first. So sometimes people will, t- and with some of them, it doesn't matter, right? With um, the, the card draw one, it, this doesn't matter at all. You just scry, draw, draw, scry. Like you're going to do it either way. It, no, it doesn't matter that much. But with this one, I've often seen people put the thing that they want to happen first on the wrong creature. Uh, because even though you get your two triggers, one after the other, the one creature can't block. And then if it's the second time this ability has resolved, that creature attacks during its controller's next combat phase if able, people people just misuse this. They just put the they just put it on the wrong one. Uh, I've, I did it once myself the first time I did it because I, I forgot about how the triggers would resolve and how you have to pick the targets, I guess, in the opposite order of what you want. Yeah, and you're talking specifically about cards that trigger this twice at once, like ETB, create a creature. Yeah, Because yeah, if, yeah. if you cast two separate creatures, then you don't have that problem. But Yeah, also, 
I don't know. It's a, is this what jazz musicians do? They piss people off so that they start attacking you. <laughs> like uh, I don't, I don't quite follow what's going on here. Is Halo coming out of the horn? Yeah, I don't know. I, I like I said, I want to love this card. The name sizzling soloist and the art are sick, but I don't know. There's it, it, just a bit of a mess here. All right, so we've talked a lot about what we don't like. Let's get into some stuff that we do. Yeah, you want to start us off with your uh, your first favorite card. Yeah, so the first favorite card I have here is Echo Inspector, partially because it's a bird and I love birds. But also, I think the art is just really good. And this is a card that kind of was a sleeper in terms of limited gameplay. Like, a lot of people at first were like, ah, it's a four mana, two, three flyer that maybe is a little bit bigger. But it actually ends up being, like, an incredible card, and I don't think you can play too many of these. Yeah, I never cut this card. I'm also now just looking, is is it surrounded by smaller birds? <laughs> It does look like there are a handful of other birds in there. I don't know if I would use the word surrounded, but there are a few others. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Is that a third one under its, uh, I guess yeah, it's there are left three wing that I on can the see. right side. That's funny. Like a bird person surrounded by actual birds. And, and this, this stuff was cool too. How, um, how the obscura can open these portals back in time a little bit and see like a conversation that had happened or see like what spell was cast in a certain area that could have been played up maybe a little more too. Yeah, that's actually, I don't know if you've uh, played any of the Arkham series games, uh, the Batman games, but there's like mm. a functionality in that game where you can kind of do the same thing in like uh, Arkham Asylum. You can like recreate crime scenes and Batman does his whole like thing. So that was another reason I, I put this one here because it, it does remind me of that. Bird in a trench coat. Could have seen this one coming. Yeah. Uh, my first card is actually three cards and it's a story. We start with an expendable lackey who's maybe not having the best day. Uh, of course, that's the, the one blue one one that you can flash back to make a fish. Now, you might be wondering, what's with that fish? The flavor text on this is Altonio. No, I'm sorry. No one by that name works here, uh, said by Rafine. So the question remains, what happened to Altonio? Well, if you check out uh, Sleep with the Fishes, it looks like Altonio may have been, been hanging out with some wrong people and, and gotten, uh, gotten to go for a quick swim. So that, of course, is the, the blue removal spell, which I've liked. I'm happy first picking Asleep with the Fishes. Oh, yeah, it's a phenomenal card. I saw someone describe this on Magic Twitter as uh, as, as a ravenous chupacabra. <laughs> That's <laughs> which, maybe bold, but it's it's not too far off, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a ravenous chupacabra, if you think about it. Uh, and the third part of our story, of course, the exotic pets. That's the uh, one, one of the uh, uncommons, uh, one of the signposts uncommons for, for blue-white. And of course, it makes the fish, the fact that you get to put counters onto them from other things is pretty cool. Uh, if, if you can get maybe like a 1-1 a one, one fish and then a 2-2 two, two fish, if you can curve like a, a backup agent into exotic pets, that's a great way to start off a game. Uh, if you can get a shield counter and a 1-1 one, one counter on these things, then you've really gone to town. And just putting other counters on these, something like a Caldea Strongarm to put its two counters onto a fish is a very easy way to kill your opponent. Uh, but of course, the flavor on this one, investigators observed that Altonio's beloved fish were thriving after his disappearance. Poor Altonio, tossed in his own fish tank. Yikes. Also, kind of a complaint with this one, but like the art is so different. I don't know. It just like stands out. And it. we had mm. discussions about this at the beginning of the format. Like it kind of yeah. looks like there yeah. was a bigger picture that they cropped in for the, I don't know. I would call the art jarring. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. No, no, I'm not saying it's bad art at all. I actually think the the artist did a great job. I just think it's it stands out in this set. It doesn't fit with the rest of the art in the set. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I picked it, to be honest. Uh, I love cards that pop. 
you know? Well, speaking of good art, my next card here is Wing Shield Agent. That's the mm-hmm. Tuna Blue 2 3 human soldier that uh, ETBs with a shield counter and then uh, can jump your creatures. But I just love the art. The combo of like the coloring with the orangish yellow and the blues, and uh, it just, just looks really good. Yeah, that is sweet. And and kind of creating a literal wing shield. Also wearing this like dapper tux and <laughs> dodging enemy fire. This is sick. I never really noticed it. Yeah, this dude was just that like he was like tearing up the dance floor. And then he's just like, hold on a second. And he's going to, you know, put up some shields so that the rest of the brokers are uh, safely able to, I don't know, dance, I guess. I don't know if brokers dance much, but yeah, I mean, this guy can clearly dance. Look at that. Look at that posture. Look at that stance. This, this guy's breaking it down. Oh, yeah. My next card is, well, two cards this time. It's a pair of Ascendancies, the Alt-Art Brokers and Alt-Art Cabaretti Ascendancies. Now, I know I mentioned I had some problems with the lands earlier. Sometimes I can't tell what taps for what. But the Brokers and Cabaretti Ascendancies, I love these Alt-Arts uh, for two different reasons. Cabaretti kind of went the hyper-realistic route. Uh, and we see some very suave looking party goers. This is the crowd I want to vibe with. Like these people look fun. They've got their halo. They're smiling. They're a little bit sultry. This this person over on the right is kind of giving like the over the shoulder. And there's a lean in in the back just kind of like towering over everyone. Maybe the bouncer. Uh, I like what's going on here. Uh, it it's, looks like a, the kind of crowd that'd be fun to party with. These are definitely yep. the Gatsby's. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's some uh, there's some backstory, some drama to, to be found out here. Uh, some some you know good party gossip. Now here's a party that I would not want to be invited to. I would not want to be the person at the table in Broker's Ascendancy. The alt art is awesome, and it, it has a very similar scene to the one that was portrayed in the in the normal art, where it's a bunch of brokers of all different species kind of standing around a table and pushing a contract towards you. This gets the same idea across. But in such a cool way, I love this this style of art. It's it's flat and yet conveys depth. You can tell exactly what's happening here. You see these people and you know the vibe of the brokers just by looking at this. There's an Avon kind of giving you this glare. Well, uh, the woman off to the, the left, presumably human, is maybe looking a little more slyly. This rhino bouncer in the back ready to, to beat you up if you try to get out of this contract signing. Uh, everything here, it just captures brokers vibes perfectly. Yeah, it's very unique art style too. Not something I had really seen too much of before, but very, very mm. cool. Do you remember like a few years ago, we were saying we wished Magic had better art to kind of go up against things like Pokemon or, or, or Flesh and Blood. These are the card games where they have lots of full arts, lots of alt arts. Magic kind of got there. It's not a complaint I hear anymore. Like if you show, if you'd show me this card three years ago and said, this is a, a future Magic card, we, would just, we just wouldn't have believed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you still see it with like the normal, obviously the normal frame for magic cards is like a little bit boring, but yeah, with these alt arts and a lot of the extra frames they've started designing it, they've definitely gotten there. Yeah. They have yet to really miss on the frames besides maybe the, the fully black and white treatment from, uh, from, from that. Yeah. But we don't know about that. Speaking of really awesome art, my next card is halo fountain, the alt art full borderless one. Hmm. It's just exquisite. I mean, it's like, yeah. Got a very cool dichotomy of colors. It has like a whole range of blues to greens and then like the gold fountain in the middle. And then it's also symmetric and I love symmetric art. Yeah, it just, I don't know. I love everything about it. This feels like a mythic artifact, you know? Yes, very much so. Yeah, more than the original art, I would say. Definitely, yeah. My next card up is just one card this time. It's Mysterious Limousine. 
I love the gameplay of Mysterious Limousine. And somehow they managed to perfectly capture a limo, like speeding around, picking people up, dropping people off. This is a bomb, by the way. This is one of the top like 20 cards in the set last I checked. First of all, it's a five mana exile anything. And then unless they have removal for, for this, it's just going to stay under there. Now, in a pinch, sometimes they'll forget about it and you end up blocking with it. Uh, I did actually attack a 3-3 into one of these that I I thought my opponent just had a 2-2, but I forgot about that, that limousine they had off in the corner. That was a pretty embarrassing game. Uh, I lost, of course. But the limousine, what's really fun is that you can use this to whisk away one of your own creatures. If it's had a uh, like a negative aura put onto it or something like that, or if it's just being outclassed and maybe you want to rebuy its enters the battlefield effect, you can use this to reset shield counters. You can use this to reset one of your opponent's things. Uh, maybe their fairy vandal got too big. I used this to attack into a fairy vandal that was a 5-6, and just, you know, it was gone. The next turn, I put it back, <laughs> and I put one of the other things under it, and their 5-6 was back to a 1-2. You know, just ferrying both your and, a, and your opponent's stuff all around the battlefield. Really, really, really fun, unique design. And this one feels pretty top-down. This feels like they said, all right, what would a limo do? And then, then they landed on O-Ring Vehicle uh, with Upside. Just really cool. Yeah, agreed. My next card here is one that gives me a laugh. It's just everything flavorfully is is hilarious. Not as thrilled about the card itself, but it's Devilish Valet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the flavor text is, nobody thought twice about checking their weapons at the door until they were informed there was no weapon check at the door. <laughs> and I just love the idea of this, like, I guess it's Riveteers, right? Like, he's just he's just like, I'm going to post Ever up. Ready. Oh, it is cab ready. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I miss red quote unquote, the icon on there, but yeah, he's like, I'm going to post up outside this party. I'm just going to like tell people they need to check their weapons, which is totally a believable thing in this society. I would be like, yeah, okay. We're all supposed to come to the end. We didn't mention it in the story, but the crescendo, like all the families are supposed to show up at that party. So yeah, it kind of makes sense that these families who are often kind of fighting each other don't aren't allowed to bring weapons into the party. And uh, this guy's just trying to make a quick buck, steal a bunch of weapons and go sell them for for cash. And then, you know, it does have a really powerful effect if you can find things like rabble rousing to make it work. If you can combine this with exactly rabble rousing, great things happen. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I I think what's maybe the funniest part is that there isn't a weapons check at the door. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This guy just saw the opportunity. He was like, oh, they're not checking weapons for this one. Time to time to hop in and (laughs) grab, grab some hammers. It looks like. Yeah, it's perfect. My next card is Gathering Throng, the second best card that costs two and a white with one toughness and uh, a common in white in this set. Just just the second best. It is still good, though. And this is the set for this type of effect. Uh, Unless your opponent happens to be pumping out tons of 1-1 tokens, this tends to trade for a real card, in which case it's a three mana, three one that just draws a bunch of itself. If you have three throngs, you did it. But what I love about this card is that (laughs) This this perfectly captures the going out party vibe, right? Where you play the one, and this is like when, when the one friend shows up, and they're like, yeah, oh, yeah, I brought a friend along. That's fine, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Uh, let's let's just get going. Let's get ready to go. And then they're like, oh, actually, we got to wait. My friend's friend is coming. And then you're like, oh, God, <laughs> like, not this. Uh, and then it just goes down the line, and you can see all the, the throng in the background. Uh, and at the same time, it's also just fun to hang out with your throng sometimes. Sometimes you just got to, I guess sometimes you bring along the throng people. Sometimes you bring along the right people. And it's it's good to do both every once in a while. I roll. <laughs> My next card is Body Dropper. And there are a handful of reasons why I picked this card. First of all, the flavor text is phenomenal. Kill count, I lost track years ago. Like, 
Yeah. He's just so full of himself. And also that's just a funny line. The art is really cool. And again, unique, like it stands out. I don't know why, but it's mm. almost cartoonish, but then also kind of realistic. And like, just looking at it next to devilish valet, they're like drastically different art styles. And mm. I really like the art for body dropper. And then let's, let's just take a pause to talk about how amazing this card is and limited. Like two mana two two yeah. that gets bigger that also powers itself. You know, if this was a two mana two two that said whenever you sacrifice another creature, put a one one counter on it, and that was it, be a lot worse. But the fact that it can sack creatures for you, and then it also gains an extra ability that is super relevant in doing so, like it's kind of the whole package. My next and final card is Shadow of Mortality, the Death Shadow wannabe. I haven't seen this one hit the battlefield and limited at all. I love the combination of the art and flavor text on this one specifically. And I like what they do that they're kind of building a theme where a shadow is a creature that gets cheaper for, for something, particularly with, with relation to your life total. Uh, I'm interested to see the next iteration on this, even though this one isn't particularly playable. Uh, a two mana seven, seven honestly isn't even that good all the time. But what I think about this is that's cool. It's a literal shadow. Like it's a giant shadow that's up on a building. And I love how the hand reaches across multiple buildings to pick up this poor soul. And the flavor kind of encapsulates this. Build your towers as tall as you want. The shadow always reaches higher. Message scrawled on an alley wall. That's my kind of world building. You know, maybe a little anti-capitalist hate thrown in here too. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I do like as well, like subtle nod to something we talked about earlier. This is an avatar. So at least they didn't throw in the all-seeing arbiter as like the only avatar in the set and then also didn't mention it in the story. So at least like they're around. Mm -hmm. And this avatar has a purpose, I guess. I like to think this person is someone who maybe got too, too greedy, too haughty, too up in the, up in their own stuff, uh, too focused on self-consumption and, and the, uh, the, I don't know, all, all that nonsense. Right. And the shadow of death, the one thing we all got in common, no matter how rich you are, the shadow's coming for you. That's true. My last card here is Arc Spitter. We talked about this earlier on the show, and it's just like really cool to see them kind of try to find a way to implement the like stereotypical mobster Tommy gun kind of thing from mm. from like pop culture, I guess. And they made it work and fit in like a magic setting without bullets and stuff. I, I think that was really clever and well executed. Mm-hmm. I found Arc Caster to be better than I expected. Uh, if I have a lot of creatures that are on the ground this this goes decently well in in the white attacking decks especially if you're expecting a lot of blocking sometimes if you have this equipped on a creature and you have five mana up they can't put their five five in front of it like you can just spend a turn tapping out killing their five five uh so this mostly just says makes your creature unblockable but sometimes that's good too and uh one thing that this can do is just pop shield counters like like nothing one of the few things that actually matches up well against disciplined duelists come to think of it yeah yeah that's true Anyway, that's uh that's our summary. That that those are our, some of our favorite flavor cards from uh, from Susanu Capena. Overall, I'd give this set a probably like a B on, on flavor wise. Uh, I like that this is something new and fresh. Somehow they managed to distinguish this enough from our other favorite city, Ravnica. This didn't feel like Ravnica at all. Like this felt no. like an entirely new thing. Uh, and the houses had identities that were clear and distinct. Are they all good and limited? No. Uh, are they all kind of flavorful in their own way? Yeah, mostly. I think Riveteers got a little a little bit of the short straw on this one. I feel like we could have seen a little bit more from them. And particularly that 
there was a little bit of weird stuff in the flavor of one of the stories where Zia Tora was kind of framed as trying to unionize, but also kind of evil. And I don't know, a little, little anti-union uh, nonsense thrown in there, too. Uh, I, I won't stand for that for a minute. Uh, unions rock. But I, I don't know. That, that felt a little strange. I, I'm not sure if that had some corporate oversight maybe uh, influencing it. Like, uh, d- don't make the uh, don't make the workers union too good <laughs> and limited. <laughs> Now, anyway, I wanted to mention a few spoilers from the uh, Baldur's Gate set. And I, I just realized Baldur's Gate pre-release is this weekend. Like, it already happened by the time this episode comes out. That hap- Where did that even come from? Yeah, what the heck? But anyway, they, they did the spoilers to the main set. Those have been out for a bit. We talked about some of our favorites from that. But we're now getting spoilers from the, uh, the Commander decks. And there's some pretty cool stuff. Weirdly enough, I think the, the best stuff in the set is actually going to wind up in the Commander exclusives. So the first one I want to talk about is a background. We mentioned these before. This is a legendary enchantment that you can pair with a creature that says choose a background. And you can have this start in your command zone. And this one is called Folk Hero. I like the vibe of this. I like the art. Speaking of all the flavor, it's a farmer. And they did a nice job to cleverly obscure the face of all of the characters in these backgrounds. So really, you can ascribe it to yourself or or whatever commander you choose to pair with it kind of getting to pick a custom backstory for your character. And of course, picking a backstory is such a big thing in D&D. So in this background, Folk Hero, it costs one in the white. It's a mythic. It says, Commander creatures you own have, whenever you cast a spell that shares a creature type with this creature, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. Mono white card draw. I love it. And, and mono white tribal card draw too. This is sick. Yeah, that's a really cool design. I am very happy they put the only triggers once each turn clause on this because, oh boy, that would get out of hand in Commander real quick. Yeah, and, and this one feels good enough to play outside of just the command zone in the background. Like I could just see a two-mana enchantment that says whenever you cast a spell that shares a creature type with your commander, draw a card. But that That's really good. Imagine this in like an Edgar Markov deck. Yeah, now what this does mean, the way, I mean, you just wording it that way, reminded me if they happen to like you know metamorphosis your creature or you know turn your commander into a fish or something like it does lose this ability so this is just an enchantment that doesn't have any text if that happens but Mm -hmm. next up green slime i assume this is like a a DD thing like the fact that it's just called green slime yeah slimes are a thing yeah this is uh two and a green it's a two two it's an ooze at rare it has flash and it has foretell for one green. So you can foretell it and then cast later for, for just the green. And it says when green slime enters the battlefield, counter target activated or triggered ability from an artifact or enchantment source. If a permanence ability is countered this way, destroy that permanent. So this doesn't say non mana ability, right? It's just activated or triggered. Yeah. But it only so hits artifacts you, or enchantments. Yeah. So when your opponent taps their soul ring for mana, it doesn't use the stack. Can this can this counter that? Tapping for mana is an activated ability, right? But it's a mana ability. I, I'm gonna need a rules lawyer check on this one. Yeah, I think. I'm not I'm not well versed enough in that sort of particular situation to be able to give you an answer on that off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's say your opponent has folk hero out, and they it's in an Edgar Markov deck or something. They play a vampire. It triggers to draw a card. You foretell flash in green slime for just a green mana counter the card draw, and then blow up the Folk Hero enchantment. Wouldn't work, because Folk Hero gives the commander that ability, not the, not the enchantment itself. 
the commanders what's triggering oh the my with that god one. So okay that would okay work. so i guess what's another example anything that has like some like coercive portal or something that's legal in commander right uh, sure I yeah don't know. all right sure so, something like that uh I, i'm sure there's uses for this i mean this is just really good artifact and enchantment hate because it, it also counters the first time the thing gets used i i feel like you could use this but like mana abilities they don't really use the stack in the same way any like i don't know we need some we need some thoughts from the discord on this one uh, let us know how wrong I got green slime in the discord. Like comment and subscribe. If I really just butchered what green slime does. It's been a few uh, episodes. Anyway. <laughs> Spectacular showdown is a fun card. This is one in red for a sorcery. It says put a double strike counter on target creature. Then goad each creature that has a double strike counter put on it this way. So this is at its base one in a red just give something double strike forever. That's kind of cool. It's a counter. This works with counters decks if you can maybe like proliferate and, and then move counters on other things. But most notably, this has goad. So you could put this on one of your opponent's things and then that creature is goaded, which means the next turn it attacks if able and it attacks a player that isn't you if able. The big thing here is that this has overload for four red, red, red. So this functionally says seven mana. Give everything double strike forever and everything attacks things that aren't you. Planeswalkers, players, as long as it's not you, it, it can be attacked. This is fun. Is <laughs> I, I like fun. this. This feels like a chaos card. Would you play I'm this? I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. That That's a really fun, really fun card. The problem is, like, you really need to make sure that everybody else dies after you cast yeah. this card in, in the chaos deck because I don't run enough creatures in that deck to let me make use of all the extra double strike counters because if they don't die they get to keep those counters and then they can attack me the turn after that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Unless by, by that point, things are usually so chaotic in like your chaos deck that whenever you go to try to attack someone, you don't end up attacking that person. You either end that's up attacking true. someone else or your creature ends up on the bottom of your library somehow, or it gets like returned to your hand and then someone else ends up casting it. Like that, that's the kind of thing that happens. That's true. And this would get around some of my other stuff about like, getting rid of targets like i do have cards in that deck that like rearrange targets of spells so this you know you overload it you don't have to worry about that mm. last but not least is a card that uh it seems really strong black market connections this is two and a black for an enchantment at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase choose one or more uh, you can sell contraband which says create a treasure token you lose a life you can buy information which says draw a card you lose two life you can hire a mercenary, which says create a 3-2 colorless shapeshifter creature token with changeling. You lose three life. And that creature, of course, has every creature type. What's going on here? So, so like at its base, this could be three mana, make a treasure every turn, lose life every turn. That's pretty good for some decks just by itself. This can also be create a treasure, draw a card every turn, you lose three life every turn. Also really strong. Just drawing an extra card uh, every turn is worth this. And then you can also get this third mode. This could be every turn, pay six life, make a treasure, draw a card, make a three, two. And that triggers all your tribal stuff, too. Like the, the fact that this is a, a shapeshifter that has changeling making it every every uh, every tribe means that this fits into so many decks that care about ETB abilities. Uh, it's providing card draw. And sure, you lose a little life here and there. Who cares? It's a black deck. You're going to do that. You got 40 of it. What, what are you going to do? Not spend it? Yeah, this is an interesting card. I I'm curious about the pre-combat main phase thing. We don't see that as a trigger step very often. 
Hmm. I wonder if they were worried about like, like it's pretty easy in commander to get extra upkeeps and things, extra draw steps and hmm. such. So, uh, but you can't really ever get a, uh, an extra pre-combat main phase. So maybe they were worried yeah. about getting doubles on a uh, doubling up on this effect. Cause that it is really powerful. And the fact that it's modal in that you can choose any combination of the three things yeah. is really good. All right. Well, that does it for us this week. Thanks so much for listening again. Check out the discord if you're not already in there. And if you've got questions for us for the mailbag episode, you've got two weeks to get those in. So definitely jump into the discord and shoot us over those questions. If you want to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. And, uh, if you want to reach out to us outside of the discord, you can find us on Twitter at draft chaff pod. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. All right, it's a Flavortown episode, so I have to bring up some art and a gripe that I have. I mentioned earlier I've been testing out Feather, maybe even thinking of making a commander deck around Feather. Uh, Feather the Redeemed is this it's awesome. Gonna be Feather around. Tribal, as in like every art, car, every card in the deck has to have a feather in it. That would be fun, probably impossible uh, to, to get all the little instants and sorceries with feathers. I, I don't know about that. I, I would definitely play uh, a similar something just equally nonsensical, but this one I, I might take a little more seriously. I might make it like a red, white, and Voltron type deck. I don't actually have a, a straight up red, white commander deck, but here's the thing. I, I, I am almost ashamed to admit it. Rain Reynolds, oh, sorry, Wayne Reynolds is a fantastic magic artist. I don't love the art on Feather, and mm. it's an angel. I love angel art. I have it as some of my, my wallpaper background on my, on my PC. Well, I love magic angel art. I don't love that Feather looks like a demon with like glowing red eyes and this like horrifying expression. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, let's put it, let's, let's start it this way. There's a lot of competition for angel art. There's a lot of really, really good angel art. So it's tough to beat some of the better ones. Um, but yeah, it's also like you don't, the way, the way that the artist like positioned the body of Feather, you don't get to see Feather at all. Really? Like you see the wings and you see the head and the sword, but like they're feathers like prone in the air, basically. So you don't really get to see. Yeah, it's an action shot. She's coming to slice your head off and and uh, clearly pissed about it. And, and yeah, at first, like it's almost a bit of an optical illusion. You can't really tell. Like, is that her like left arm? Is her right arm also holding the sword? I guess. But then I don't know. Um not every art hits the same, and I do love angel art, but uh, at this point, I'd like to shout out Alter Sleeves, who we are not sponsored by, but God, that, that I wish. That'd be cool. Uh, I love Alter Sleeves. Um, I have a few right now. I have one on Selvala, and I have one on Marin. Alter Sleeves is this uh, this company that lets you like get a sleeve, and it fits... It's like a, a, a perfect fit sleeve fits directly over your uh, your card, and they, they have them for pretty much every legend or every... Uh, All the popular uh, ones. Everyone... Yeah, anyone that you'd want to have as a commander, people just will make their own arts for cards or sometimes modify it. So there's a lot of them on here that has a different background for Feather. There's some cool ones where it's like a storm that she's flying through uh, and a few that change the art for her entirely. Um, there's one that I'm looking at with this this kind of cool, different perspective um, and uh, uh, kind of in like a, a field flying over a legion of, of Boros legionnaire, uh, I suppose. Um I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to end up making a feather deck at some point. And if I do, I'll probably end up getting an altar suit for it. 